Well, it'd be my joy if you would join me in Luke chapter 19. We'll be in Luke chapter 19 and 20 today. Uh, for the last many months, we've been walking through the gospel of Luke. And this semester, we're going to be in the final week of Jesus's life. So from now until the cross and resurrection, we will be looking at the final week of Jesus. And today we see Jesus entering into Jerusalem and going straight for the temple. And we see the authority of Jesus put on display for those to see in the temple, but also for our hearts to see this morning. So read with me. This is in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 45. God's word says this, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy them, him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that you gave this authority. He answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the parable to tell the people this parable, a man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, this one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us today as we hear your word. Lord, we are desperately dependent on your word. And Lord, we're desperately dependent on your spirit to speak clearly 
to us to show us the glory and the beauty of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would show us the King of glory. Jesus, the Christ, the one who is worthy, the one who says all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And Lord, I pray as we see Jesus that you would fill this room with a spirit of joyful surrender. That, Lord, it would be our joy to die to ourselves, to repent of our rebellion, to run from our sins and run to the risen Savior King, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us today? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm really tempted this morning as we gather together to say a really bad word in church. A bad word that no one likes to hear, that no one likes to talk about, that everybody in our world is scared of today. But I'm, I'm going to say it because I think it needs to be said. And I hope it doesn't offend anybody here today, but the word is authority. <gasps> Heard some gasps. The word is authority. Our culture, the, the world we live in, it hates the word authority. Hates it. Hates the word authority. We hate the word authority because we think that it attacks our freedom. We say things like, I, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. This is my life. You heard that before? We hate the word authority because we think it'll rob us of true joy, of, of true happiness. I don't want anyone standing in the way of what's going to make me happy. We hate the word authority because we believe that it's an enemy of love. You hear people say, if you really love me, if you really cared about me, you'd let me do what I want to do. We see this in a culture that wants less police. We see this in, a, in churches that don't want to talk about sin, that don't want to talk about holiness or confront people about sin. We see this in our workplaces, that I don't want my boss to be too nosy to, to monitor or to care what I'm doing. See this in our schools where the students are always right to the parents. Maybe the teachers are always wrong, they say. We see this in our homes where, where kids, they push back on God's good designed authority. Their parents in the household. They're representatives of the king. I mean, does this sound familiar in your world in which you live? Does it sound familiar in your home does it even sound familiar in your heart this morning? I love what my friend and another pastor says, Jordan Thomas. He says, he tells his children in his home, good news, this house is not about you. It doesn't revolve around you. And better news, this house is not about me. It doesn't revolve around me. This house is all about Jesus. It revolves around Jesus because Jesus is 
the king. This morning in Luke chapter 19 and 20, Jesus comes to Jerusalem, his final week in Jerusalem, and he comes straight to the temple and he puts his authority on display. And the religious leaders, you see them, they're they're kind of squirmy. They start growing uncomfortable with this. They're bothered by the authority of Jesus. And what they need more than anything, what they need to understand, what they need to believe with all their heart, and what we need to understand, what we believe, need to believe, what you need to believe with all your heart this morning is that the world revolves around Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords who reigns over all. And so listen, before we even jump in, as you listen to the sermon today, you're going to have this tendency to get kind of uncomfortable when we talk about authority, when we talk about Jesus being king. Because literally everything in this world has cultivated in your life and, and discipled in your heart that you should be the king of your kingdom. That the world should revolve around you. That you should get your way. And so that's why every battle in your marriage, in every battle at your workplace, in every frustration with your friendships, Every trouble comes down to this. It's that you want to be king. In your heart, you want to be king. And so before you start building up walls or pushing back at all, let's, let's behold the king of glory who is a good and gracious king for all of us today. The first thing we see in our passage is that the authority of Jesus is put on display. It's put on display. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. He heads straight for the temple, and, and the temple was the place where God met with his people, where he dwelt in the midst of his people, where his people could be with him. So the people would go to the temple to make sacrifices and, and to pray to Yahweh and to worship Yahweh. However, on this day, th this is not what Jesus finds when he comes to the temple. In the court of the Gentiles, the, the area of the temple that was set aside for the nations to come and to worship, God's people have turned this place, this place of prayer, into a flea market. A, into a flea market to make money for themselves. We see in other gospels that people are exchanging money and charging interest. They're, they're taking animal sacrifices and they're trying to make a lot of money on the sacrifices that would be made. They had turned this pure place of prayer before God into a self-seeking market for personal profit. This place that was supposed to be about the glory of God had become a place for themselves. And so Jesus, who we saw was weeping over Jerusalem last week, is now turned into righteous anger. 
and his authority is put on display. Look at verse 45. It says, he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold. The other gospels say that he was overturning tables throughout the temple, that he was not even letting someone carry something out of the temple. It's clear that Jesus is the authority. He's literally taking the matter into his own hands. And then Jesus says this. Look at me at verse 46. It says, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. I want us to hear where this comes from this morning because it's really sad when you open up to Isaiah 56 and, and you hear what God's desire was for the temple. What his desire was, not just for Israel, but for all the nations to come to the temple. And it's really sad to see what it had become. Because it says this in Isaiah 56. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Did you hear the, the place the temple was supposed to be a place where one day the nations would come and find joy, overwhelming joy in the God who reigns over all. The temple was supposed to be a place where one day they would come and they would have sacrifices, sinners have sacrifices accepted by a holy God. It was supposed to be a house of prayer, but a place for those who were far off to come near to God. But now it had become something entirely different. It's not a house of prayer. It's a house of profit. It's not a place where righteousness dwells. It's a place for unrighteous robbers, a den of robbers, that language from Jeremiah. It's a place. It's not a place where people come to worship him. It's a place they worship themselves, worship their money. And the king says, don't, don't miss Jesus saying this. The king says, my house shall be a house of prayer. Jesus is saying, this is my house. He's making it abundantly clear in his actions with his words. This is a place for God's glory. It's a place for my worship, a place of prayer to the Father who is in heaven. And the religious leaders are having none of it. The chief priests and the scribes, it says, they want to destroy him. They're looking to destroy him. If we could listen in to their frustrated hearts, they're saying, who does he think he is? Like, who do you think you are, Jesus? Don't you know? Don't you know who is in charge? They were the chief 
priests, right? They saw themselves as the authority, and, and now Jesus is standing in the way. You see that? They saw themselves as authority, and now Jesus is just standing in their way. Yet notice they don't do anything. Why do they don't do anything? Because it says this, because all the people were hanging on his words. All the people were hanging on his words. What a beautiful description of those under the authority of Jesus. Those who were truly in awe of the King of glory. They're hanging on his every word. What would it look like for your life to be hanging on every word of Jesus? Where your life was so shaped by hearing his words, by hiding his word in your heart, by obeying his word, treasuring his word more than anything else in your life. What if that described your life? What if that marked your life? Why everybody else wants to scoff at the Lord, why everybody else wants to scoff at his word, the word of God, you believe that that's true? You believe that junk? But we at Christ Fellowship are those who are hanging on his every word. You in your heart, when you get up in the morning, you're hanging on his every word. I'm hanging on the words of King Jesus. The second thing we see is the authority of Jesus on trial. In the very next chapter, we find Jesus, it says, teaching and preaching the good news in the gospel in the temple, which I really love that word because verse one, in verse one, literally it's one word. He's gospeling in the temple. Jesus is gospeling in the temple. It's so easy to open these pages of scripture and only see the arguments with the scribes, only see the frustrations with the chief priests and miss that Jesus comes in the temple to share good news of great joy. He's proclaiming good news to anybody who will listen. The king has come. The king has come, and and he's come to usher in his kingdom. And there will be shalom. There will be peace like you've never seen before. There's going to be salvation that you've been longing for, and I'm here. But while he's teaching and gospeling, the chief priests and scribes come to to interrupt. They come to cross-examine Jesus. They say in verse 2, tell us by what authority do you do these things? Or who it is that gave you this authority? They're asking, what do you think you're doing? And who said you could do it? It's a question of his authority. What, What do you think you're doing and who said that you could do it? And remember, this is from the chief priests. These are from the people that saw themselves as the one who who are in charge. So Jesus has entered into their domain. They have power and dominion over the temple, and he's disrupting things. Well, Jesus flips the script on them. They're trying to set a trap, but Jesus says, let let me ask you first a question. Was the baptism of John from heaven 
or from man. Now they're trapped. Now they're a little puzzled. They start thinking to themselves, listen, if we say heaven, then he's going to wonder why we didn't get baptized. He's going to wonder why we did not believe John the Baptist and run and listen to him. But if we say that John the Baptist is from man, there's, there's about to be a riot. And we're going to get stoned because the people loved John the Baptist. The people listened to John the Baptist. So they decide the safe bet is just to do nothing. It's just to say we don't understand. So they tell Jesus, we don't, we don't know whose authority it was. And Jesus says in verse 8, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Do you see it? The authority of Jesus is on trial. The, the authority of Jesus is being questioned. And if you read the Gospel of Luke from beginning to end, it's abundantly clear. John the Baptist has come down from heaven, and so has Jesus Christ. His authority is from heaven. All authority of heaven is with Jesus when he's healing. All authority of heaven is with Jesus when he's teaching. All authority of heaven is behind Jesus when he's flipping tables in the temple. He is the king. This is his kingdom. This world is his domain, not just the temple, but all heaven and all earth. That's why Jesus at the end of Matthew says, all heaven, all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's all, the whole world is his domain. The sad reality, though, is that the authority of, of, of God, the authority of Jesus has always been on trial in the hearts of sinners. I mean, you can go back to the, the garden, to the beginning. And what's, what's the serpent question there in the garden? Did, did God really say, did, did God really say you can't eat of the tree? You can't eat of any tree? Even challenging God's authority, you won't surely die. You'll actually be made like him. And ever since the garden, every single one of us, listen, you, in your own hearts, you question and challenge the authority of Jesus. You question and challenge the authority of God in your own heart. We question in our own heart, does Jesus really say anything about who I can love? Does Jesus really say anything about sin? Does Jesus really ever mention hell? Does he have, is there anything about eternity? Does he really care about what I do or what I watch or what I scroll or what I think or what I say? Does Jesus really care? And these questions start coming up in our hearts. And those questions lead to challenges confrontations in my heart when I don't like the answer. And then we start saying, we're, we're no longer asking questions now. Now we're in complete challenging his authority when we say things like, Jesus, 
Jesus has no right to tell me what I spend. Jesus really has no right to tell me how I spend my time, how I use this life. It's my life. Jesus has no right to tell me what I do Monday through Saturday. He has has no business worrying about what I do in private. When when the truth of the scripture is that Jesus has every right. Because he reigns over everything. I was talking to a college student just a few weeks ago about the gospel. We were meeting and talking about what it looks like to turn your life over to Christ, to surrender and to put all your trust in Jesus. And, and this right here was the biggest roadblock to him following Jesus. He said, he said to me, I, I just like my life the way it is. Just like my life the way it is. I, I like doing things my way. And deep down, that is the same heart of the serpent in the garden. It's the same heart of the chief priests and the scribes. It's that you in your heart, you're saying, I just want to be king. I just want to rule. I just want to reign. It's the same reason that children rebel against their parents. It's the same way that children, why children push back in the home. It's not just because they don't want mom or dad to be king of the home. They just don't want Jesus to be king. They want to be king. Listen, any heart that throws off authority, that that questions authority, that always wants to get what you want, that's frustrated when you don't get your way, that always has to be right, this is a heart that deep down just wants to be king. And we don't need you to be king. You don't need to be king. We have a king in King Jesus. Finally, this leads us to the final truth. The authority of Jesus on the cross. Jesus now tells us a story. He tells us a parable that exposes the problem of the heart. That that exposes this problem of authority and where, when this problem of authority rears its head, where it ends up. He says there's an owner who leaves his vineyard into the hands of some tenants. And he sends some servants back after a few years to get some fruit from his vineyard. And Jesus says, they take the first servant that's sent and they beat him. And they send him away empty-handed. So he sends a second servant. The owner sends a second servant and they beat him and says they treat him shamefully and send him away empty-handed. Then he sends a third servant and they wound him. And they cast him out of the vineyard. So we see that each servant that's sent, each servant is treated more harshly than the servant before. More brutal than the servant before. And so finally, the owner of the vineyard says this. I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. 
I mean, you're reading this story and you're thinking, surely it's one thing to beat and to cast out a servant. But surely the, the tenants will receive his only son, right? The owner's son. Those were servants, but this, this is the son. Yet we see in Jesus' story, they take the son outside the vineyard. They take him outside of the vineyard because they don't want the ground of the vineyard to be defiled. And they kill him outside the vineyard. And they foolishly believe that now that there's not an heir, this vineyard will somehow be left to us. We'll be the owners. It'll be given to us. If you read the what Jesus is saying here, Jesus is saying these, serpent, these servants represent the Old Testament prophets that were sent to the people of God, the people of Israel. And these prophets came in the Old Testament and they came to speak the word of the Lord, to say, thus says the Lord to the people. But the people did not receive them. The people did not listen to them. They didn't care what they said. Instead, they persecuted the Old Testament prophets. But now Jesus is saying that not another prophet has come, but the Son has come. But the Son of God has come. And what are they going to do to the beloved Son of God? Listen to what Jesus says. This is amazing, thinking this is the beginning of the week and what's going to happen this week in Jesus' life. They, he says, they're going to kill him. See, the cross was not a surprise to Jesus. The cross is not a surprise to Jesus. He knows the hearts of the religious leaders. He knows that the cross is coming. He knows that they have been questioning his authority. He knows that they're challenging his authority. And he knows that he must be killed. They're going to put him to death. This is the heart of every sinner. Listen, every sinner, sinners do not want Jesus to be king. That's at the heart of all sin. Jesus, you do not want Jesus to be king. And, th and they will go to any lengths. You will go to any lengths to get what you want, to do what you want, to be the king. So, so be careful acting surprised that those religious leaders, that, that those People in Jerusalem, those Romans, those sinners, don't be surprised. Be careful acting surprised that they would beat Jesus. That they would spit on Jesus and whip Jesus and mock Jesus and hang Jesus on the cross and kill Jesus. Because your rebellious heart that wants to be king would have killed the king of kings too. Listen, your rebellious heart that wants to be king would have killed the king of kings too. But this is the good news of the gospel. 
This is the scandalous good news of the gospel, the astonishing grace of God. Because listen, the king goes to a cross for rebels like you and me who want to be king. The king goes to a cross for rebels who want to be king. The king is not only crucified by rebels. No, he's crucified for rebels, for rebels who were unwilling to have him reign over them. And he died for their sins on the cross. And then the Bible says that on the third day, he rose from the grave. And this is declaring that he is the risen king. The risen Savior King. And this risen King now offers life and forgiveness for any who would repent of their rebellion and who would surrender to Him as the Savior King. Surrender to Him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Maybe this morning that's what you need to do. That you need to repent of your rebellion. Run from your sin. To confess to the Lord, just like we did earlier through confession, God, I want to be king. God, I'm after your throne. In my heart, you don't reign. I reign over my life, but Lord, I repent of my sins. And I want you to be king. Not only the king who saved me from my sins on the cross, but the king who reigns over my life because you rose again. Do you notice Jesus isn't, is not surprised by the cross? But these people sure were surprised by his response, weren't they? Jesus says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? To those who kill the son, what's he going to do to them? He says, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. That's shocking. Jesus is saying the kingdom will go to the nations. The Jerusalem that he wept over, that did not receive him. He says the kingdom will now go to the nations. The, the kingdom that Israel, that, that self-righteous people feel entitled to, Jesus says it's given only to those who repent of their sins, who cast themselves before the risen king's in complete surrender. That's who the kingdom is for. Not for those who think they deserve it, but for those who know they don't deserve it. Not to those who think they're entitled to it because of who they are and what they've done, but no, they only receive it because of what Christ has done. The people are shocked. They say, surely not. It's really one of the most, the strongest language for shock in the New Testament. They're saying, God forbid that this would happen. And it says Jesus looks them directly in the eye. Quoting Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A song that they, a song that they knew before, a song that they probably sang this week. And Jesus says, this king that you've rejected has become the cornerstone of the kingdom. 
the very cornerstone of the kingdom. Jesus is the solid rock on which we stand. All other ground is sinking sands. So this is what Jesus is saying. You will either find joy in surrendering to King Jesus or you'll face judgment from King Jesus. That's the only two options for every single one of us in here. Every single one of us in here. If you're in kindergarten, if you're in high school, if you're in college, if you're old, young, whoever is in here, you will either find joy surrendering to King Jesus or you'll face judgment from King Jesus. And listen, every one of us, every one of us can be deceived in our hearts and to believe that, that you just need to throw off authority, that you need to be your own king, that you need to be free. But trust me, the only hope for you is to repent of your rebellion and to surrender to King Jesus. That's the only hope for any of us is to repent of our rebellion and to surrender to King Jesus. Listen, the freedom, the freedom that you are longing for is found only under the reign of King Jesus. I mean, it was King Jesus who said, if you abide in me, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The joy that your heart desires, the joy that you're longing for, happiness, true happiness that you long for is found only under the reign of King Jesus. For King Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The joy that you're longing for, the love that you're longing for, it's not at war with authority. No, the love you're longing for is only found under the authority of King Jesus. For King Jesus on the night when he was going to be betrayed, says this, greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. Or that a king would lay down his life for rebels. Rebels like you and like me. So good news this morning, brothers and sisters. This world does not revolve around you. And better news, this, this world does not revolve around me. No, this world revolves around King Jesus. All for the glory of Jesus and for the joy of all who will surrender to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would help us today. That, Lord, you would crush any sense, any spirit of rebellion in our hearts, any sense of wanting our way, of seeking our, our happiness and sins of this world and what we think will make us happy. Lord, we ask that, Lord, you would crush any sense of rebellion in our hearts and that we might run to King Jesus. That this morning we would run with joyful surrender to King Jesus 
who not only came to, to live a righteous life that we could never live, but he would go to a sinner's cross to die for our rebellion, for our sins. And Lord, on the third day, rise again in victory. Rise again in victory as the risen king, as the conquering king who conquers over all sin and all rebellion. Lord, I pray this morning that you would expose the deception of our hearts that, that wants to cherish idols, cherish sin, Lord, that wants to worship ourselves as king. And that, Lord, you would help us run to Jesus. Lord, that we would cast ourselves upon King Jesus, that we would find joyful surrender under the reign of King Jesus, that we would find the freedom that we were longing for, not doing what we want, but doing what Christ Jesus wants in our lives. Lord, that we would find the love that we're longing for because King Jesus would die for rebels like us. So, Lord, I pray for every heart in here that you would draw us closer to the glory of King Jesus, that it might expose our sin, but, Lord, shower us with the lavish love and grace of our King. Lord, you do this for the glory of your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.